Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Would you join me in saying that the biggest conversation we're probably likely to have over the course of the next couple of months, and maybe it's even more than a couple of months because I talked the other day about the idea this could extend well into the start of the season, but would you agree with me that for the foreseeable future, the biggest conversation we probably will have around Georgia is who emerges as Georgia's starting quarterback? Is this... Carson Beck, is it just his job? Has it always just sort of been his job? And is he just going to kind of slide from the number two spot up to the number one spot? Is there a chance that a Brock Vandegrift or a Gunnar Stockton could unseat, you know, Beck? I don't even say if unseat's the right way to say that, but maybe, maybe move ahead of Beck in the line, the pecking order, and actually get their chance to be the Georgia starter for this upcoming season. I think it's a pretty fascinating discussion. It's one of those things where, you know, a lot of times we have a sports debate, you know, whether it be Georgia fans debating something internally with the team or college football fans in general debating something about the sport. Maybe this is like another one of those things you just sort of blame on cable news. It feels like we have a lot we can blame on cable news, but maybe this is another thing we blame on cable news. That everything sort of gets turned into the good guy, the bad guy, and who is good and who is bad in any situation sort of depends on your perspective, I guess. But nonetheless, you know, debates, discussions sort of end up being kind of a good guy, bad guy thing. And yet in real life, things often aren't that way. Sometimes there isn't a bad guy in a debate, and sometimes there isn't a bad option among an array of choices. It's not about, you know, identifying what's bad and and uh, and, and, and recognizing what's good by comparison. It's simply about recognizing what's best from a variety of options. And I would say that when it comes to the Georgia quarterback competition there's a chance that's what's true and I'm basing that partially on my own assumptions but I'm also basing part of that on what Kirby Smart in his own words has said going back this past summer when even with Stetson Bennett probably some of this was just sort of related to people's inability to believe that Stetson Bennett really was a good quarterback but but even in the midst of kind of Stetson Bennett returning back to Georgia for another year prior to the 2022 season there was plenty of fascination about what's next at quarterback what's the backup like what's what's that situation like Carson Beck had been here for a little while Brock Vandergriff had now been here for a little while too and there was the emergence of Gunnar Stockton there as well and so Kirby Smart went on one of those shows it's called what Crane and Company or whatever else I still don't know why Kirby did the interview but not, not nothing against the Crane folks I'm just saying this is a little bit of an odd spot to see Kirby pop up but nonetheless uh, Kirby does the interview subject of quarterback comes up and as I said it seems like Kirby even when these guys were a year younger than they are now kind of liked his options at quarterback this is what Kirby said last summer on that topic I would easily say this is the the best when you take a picture of the whole room top to bottom those four guys that are going to meet in that quarterback room in fall camp uh the most depth we've ever had Um, especially the most depth of kind of like the guys that I know and trust can play the position you know, they've Brock's been through a, a couple springs now. Carson, Carson's been through a couple springs. I've got to see him in spring games. I've got to see him in game action. Uh, you get to see these guys really compete and grow. And obviously, we know Stetson's played in a lot of football games from what we saw last year. And uh, Gunner had some promising stuff in the spring. So I, I really am excited about where those guys are. So listen, I don't mind telling you that I take Kirby's words there pretty seriously. Like sometimes you sort of feel like, and this is not just true for Kirby, this is true for any newsmaker in sports. You hear him talking, you're sort of left to decide, 
is he just talking because he's been asked a question and he's like the old line, I'm just here so I don't get fined? Like, is it one of those things where he's just sort of trying to get through the conversation or does he have an interest in the topic that he's discussing? In that particular case, listen, maybe my assumption's wrong on this, but in that particular case, it sort of sounds like to me that, that you know, Kirby's kind of into that that, 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 that Kirby really was a believer in what he had at quarterback beyond Stetson Bennett. He had seen a little bit more from Carson Beck, and he'd seen a little bit more from Brock Vandergriff, and he'd seen a little bit more from Gunnar Stockton. Now, I'm not naive, nor are you. We also understand that saying good things about all quarterbacks is also potentially a way of keeping all those quarterbacks from transferring out of your program. So there's clearly a potential uh, you know, positive impact by sort of you know, kind of sprinkling the infield with praise. I, I do, I do get the idea of that, uh, but nonetheless, that sort of comes across as as genuine to me. That I think that Kirby Smart really does like his quarterback situation there at Georgia. So once again, uh, this is not about hey picking the good quarterback and you know kicking the bad ones to the side or anything like that. There's not necessarily a bad guy in the debate. Not necessarily a bad option among the choices. It's simply about taking your time to decide what is best for you. And as we've said, hey, you know, listen. What's actually best here, if you want a little bit of time to sort of figure that out, you can take it. You know, you can, um, uh, you know, you can take this into the season. We had the discussion the other day about maybe you start all three of these guys at some point in 2022, given the fact that you're basically at least a 30-point favorite against almost everybody. I don't know that Georgia would do that, but I think they could do that. And at least giving some playing time to all these guys just seems like, you know, fair is kind of a loaded word, but it seems like a, a somewhat fair thing to do. But either way, there are a lot of interesting options at quarterback. So since we're going to be talking about this so much in the future anyway, let's have that conversation a little bit right now. Here are three questions I have about the quarterback situation here at George. I'm sure over the course of the next few weeks, we'll have many more. But here are three I have for right now. I'm going to do these in sort of, I guess, no certain order. Question number one is this. How much does the change at offensive coordinator change the way this competition is going to play out? And I obviously can't fully answer that, but my assumption is it's probably going to change it some because now you have a new set of eyes evaluating who this quarterback is going to be. Now, Mike Bobo's been here, you know, so so it's not like he's you know fresh to the program and only seeing these guys for the first time, but he, Bobo, was certainly seeing these guys in a different role than he's seen them in the past. And all of a sudden, he's one of those guys that takes on sort of the lion's share of decision-making about who the starter ends up being. And so this is one of those things where if we assume that the pecking order, because of the way it was last year, you know, Beck, Vandegrift, uh, Stockton being two, three, and four, if we assume that's the way they start during the spring, then who's the guy that's probably most nervous about this? I'd say it's probably Carson Beck. Now, that's not the same thing as saying – Bobo getting the offensive coordinator job is therefore bad for back. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, is if you're the perceived leader in any competition, if there's a major change that comes to the competition, all of a sudden you feel like your leader status is somewhat threatened a little bit. So in the case of back, that just might be true that, that of all the people who are maybe the most disappointed about Todd Monk and leaving Beck may have been the most disappointing because disappointed because he's the guy that's been working with Monk and really learning that, that, that offense and really kind of maybe even, you know, growing closer to Todd Monk and throughout all, all of this process, the change would seem to maybe impact him more so than the others, because he was the guy that was maybe first in line to get his shot to be the starter. And all of a sudden now the, the presence of a new coach, probably, you would say, opens up the opportunity for a Vandegrift or Stockton just a little bit more. Now, once again, to somewhat repeat myself, 
I am not saying because Bobo's the offensive coordinator, therefore Beck won't win the job. He may very well still win the job the way that some assumed that he might always. But the changeover to offensive coordinator here would seem to be a little bit of an interesting wrinkle into all of this. We'll see how Carson responds to that, all of a sudden impressing a new offensive coordinator after having worked with Munkin now for the last couple of years. Another big question I have, and to be honest with you, of all the questions I'm asking, this is the one I'm actually the most interested in because this is the one that I've heard the least discussion about. Who's going to be the number two quarterback? Because that to me is really interesting. And I'll tell you why. If you look around the SEC the last few years, y'all, number two quarterbacks have mattered. Number two quarterbacks have mattered at Georgia. Georgia's number two quarterback in 2021, Stetson minute led them to a national championship. Backup quarterbacks have been a big deal in this league. You know, Jalen Milrow played a little bit this year in place of Bryce Young. Joe Milton played a little bit this year in place of Hendon Hooker. We have seen backup quarterbacks playing significant snaps for prominent teams in the SEC. And while Georgia, for the most part, has found a way to be mostly healthy at quarterback the last couple of years, at least it seems that way, Georgia is not immune to this same kind of stuff. So the question is obviously going to be asked of, well, who's supposed to be the starter and who's going to be that guy and who's the next in line as the Georgia starting quarterback? All fair and good, all right to ask. But if history is our guide, Who's the best option to be number two? That matters there too. And is this a situation that the number two quarterback is the quarterback by default because the other guy left? Or is this a situation where the rightful pecking order does truly play itself out? Maybe the number three guy leaves because he not only got beat out by number one, but he also got beat out by number two as well. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and let that, you know, we'll have to wait and let that see how it plays out. But please keep this in mind, y'all. The number two quarterback is going to matter in this. The clear number one, you hope you can find it. The clear number two, you probably need to find that as well because in a lot of situations you've played, or at least SEC teams have played. Georgia in 2021 has played its number two quarterback, and in a lot of ways it became very memorable what that number two quarterback did while playing in place of an injured starter. So to me, this is one of those deals that's not obviously as important as your starter is going to be. But in terms of what could ultimately decide whether or not that Georgia can go for three in 23, the thing that could ultimately decide that is how good of a number two quarterback has. So let's just say that the that the pecking order from a year ago somewhat holds and Beck were to win the starting job. Gunner versus Brock to see who number two is, that's really, really important. I think it's something you ought to uh, really be paying attention to as we head towards the uh, spring. Then finally, there's this. Changeover to offensive coordinator. Brand new starting quarterback after Todd Munkin leaves, Stetson Bennett leaves. Does the presence of a new starting quarterback for Georgia make running game more important? Does it make the rushing attack for Georgia more important? There is a part of me that sort of hopes that it does. And when I say that, people I think have a tendency to maybe misunderstand what I'm saying. That is not my dying wish to see Georgia become three yards in the cloud of dust or whatever it is that y'all think that Bobo does in third and long. That is not what I am uh, hoping for here. I am not looking to see Georgia become a run first team. But like I said a lot last offseason, would I like to see Georgia be a slightly run better team? Yeah, I kind of would. Now, Georgia took a step forward this year compared to where it had been. Georgia was fourth in the SEC this past season in rushing yards per game after only being sixth in that category in uh, 2021. I believe fifth in 2020. 
uh, 20, I think they were. Uh, so in other words, this is not a Georgia team that is necessarily dominated with the rushing attack the last three years the way that it did prior to that. 2017, 2018, Georgia was first in the SEC in rushing yards per game. 2019, they took a step down because they just weren't good offensively at anything. But, you know, in the Todd Munkin era, for as good as they were across the board, certainly scoring points, you know, and really, you know, moving the football, explosive plays. We said this one day last week, I guess, 98 plays of 20 or plus, 20 or more yards a year ago. There was so much that Munkin was great at offensively, but producing great rushing attacks was not necessarily one of the things that Munkin was necessarily the best at. And if you really want to kind of bulletproof your offense, if you really want to kind of make your offense, you know, uh, less impervious to some sort of uh, trip up or, or inconsistency, you know, finding a way to bolster that rushing attack, that might be a pretty good way to do that. So to answer my own question here for a moment, will running game matter more with new quarterback? Will running game matter more with new offensive coordinator? There's a part of me that kind of hopes that it does. So we'll talk more about that here coming up in uh, just a second, some specific uh, thoughts on that. But prior to that, questions about quarterback, who's the starter, who's the number two, how does the presence of Mike Bobo change all of that? It's going to be a fascinating spring. But fascinating doesn't have to be good versus evil. It doesn't have to be good versus bad. Sometimes fascinating is about, hey, lots of good, which is the absolute best. And seeing Georgia pick that quarterback that could keep it on path to win a national championship again, that should be a fun process to watch play out. My name is uh, Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharp, and happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, normally 945, first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. We're starting 10 o'clock across the board this week because I am, as you know, enjoying some vacation shows and hopefully uh, certainly having a great time as I uh, do all of that. And so looking forward to be back with you live again on Monday course radio noon 960 the ref podcast apple spotify everything else just really happy to have you as a part of the program of course we're so thankful for our friends at merriweather and tharp for being with us there as well your source for georgia divorce uh, bob tharp from merriweather and tharp good friend of mine his wife ashley there as well i love uh their friendship i love their support of what we do here at dog nation daily and i love the great work that bob and his entire team there at merriweather and tharp do for you when you might be facing one of the most challenging situations you could ever face. I'm talking about the idea of divorce. It's scary, it's confusing, it's not fun. It's really miserable. I'm sure for many of you, you felt that way. But your next season of life can be made way more enjoyable. You can experience happiness again. I think you will experience happiness again. When you set yourself up for happiness by the decisions you make right now, while you're in the midst of this divorce situation. That's what our friends at Meriwether and Tharp are all about. You can find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com, theatlantadivorceteam.com. Educate yourself about what it is they do and what they can do for you. Set up that free initial consultation with one of their attorneys. And then after that, you're ready to make that decision to hire Meriwether and Tharp to kind of walk with you through the divorce process and create an opportunity for a great level of happiness for you because you deserve that. You deserve great relationships. You deserve all of that. And this may be the way you get there. So find out more online, the theatlantadivorceteam.com, theatlantadivorceteam.com, Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. All right, we got a uh, fun conversation coming up. Part two with Mike Griffith. We did some of that yesterday. We'll do more of that today. Obviously, Terrence Edwards is a guy we love having on our program. And of course, we'll catch up with him again next week. We are excited about being able to do that. But before we bring on Mike and kind of continue and get Mike's thoughts on quarterback and everything else, before we do all of that, let's get ready to go around the doghouse here for a moment. And 
So I was talking to him a moment ago about, hey, new quarterback, new offensive coordinator. Does that mean running game is going to matter more? And I told you, I kind of hope that it does. Uh, I don't want to see Georgia be three yards in the cloud of dust. I don't want to see Georgia be run first. Would I like to see Georgia be a little more explosive, a little bit more effective when it does run the football? I kind of would. I mean, obviously, you know, throughout the college football playoff, they pretty much did everything as well as they needed to. You can't nitpick too much with the overall results. But in terms of if I could construct a team from scratch that sort of fit what I think is probably the 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 best, most you know likely way to produce a lot of wins, I might produce just a little bit more overall rushing production than maybe what Georgia has had the uh, last couple of years. And then when you look at the component pieces that have a chance to sort of contribute to that for Georgia here this year, there's obviously a very interesting collection of running backs in place. But there's sort of something that Georgia kind of maybe doesn't have this upcoming year, at least not obviously yet. And I think that's kind of interesting. And as a way of setting this up, I want to go back to a conversation we had, gosh, been about a year ago, so ago, prior to last season, with uh, a terrific former Georgia running back, Keith Marshall, talking about Kenny McIntosh. McIntosh was on that list for us the other day of the biggest names that must be replaced for Georgia here for this season. McIntosh clearly on that list. And in terms of exactly why Kenny shows up so high in a discussion like that, what about McIntosh mattered? What Marshall said on our show, of course, he knows the running back position very well. What Marshall said on our show going back to a last season, I think is a reminder of why Kenny McIntosh so challenging to replace right now. So since we're kind of talking about running game, let's talk about McIntosh in particular. And let's use some words from a former Georgia running back, Keith Marshall, as a springboard to it. This is Keith from last year. A guy that I think has been extremely underrated, I think he kind of feels that niche of the third down, do it all, you can put him out wide, is Kenny McIntosh. I mean, he's, he's smooth as butter. Um, he's probably the most natural runner I've seen in Georgia in a while, and that's saying a lot because we've got a lot of really good running backs. And so I think those two guys have an opportunity to really establish themselves and make a name for themselves. And then obviously you mentioned some of the other guys that are waiting in the, waiting in the rings. I'm super excited to see what Robinson is going to do. Um, you know, he got a lot of high praise, high comparisons, some names. I'm not going to put that on him at, at this age, but I'm really excited to see what he's going to bring to the table. Obviously, at the end there, he's referencing Branson Robinson, who at that time was moving into his freshman season. We saw some of Branson this year, including a touchdown in the national championship game. And certainly the optimism we have about Branson, I think, was justified in the moments we got a chance to see him play this year. But on the subject of Kenny McIntosh here for a moment, first of all, let me confess something. McIntosh, one of the guys over the course of my time here, I may have been about as wrong about it as anybody. Kenny turned out at Georgia to be far more athletic than I realized he was when he was coming out of high school. He just, I think some of that was kind of a body transformation for him. But you know, when McIntosh was first kind of on the scene signing with Georgia, this was not necessarily a guy that I thought of as a dynamic athlete. I thought of him as more of a kind of between the tackles, maybe even like a goal line style runner. Just That's just not what he was. He was an unbelievable athlete for Georgia at the running back position. Now he's gone. And you're led to conclude that he was sort of the thing that under Kirby Smart, Georgia has kind of always seemed to have. Uh, it was Sony Michelle starting in 2016 and 2017. It became James Cook after that. Uh, Cook was obviously pivotal uh, towards the national championship in 2021, catching the football, running the football, being that, I think sometimes you say, sort of Swiss Army knife, the guy that can do a bunch of different things. You know, Michelle had been that guy in 2017. Cook was that guy in 2021. Kenny McIntosh was kind of that guy for Georgia this past season. Now you look ahead to 2023, and you're left to say, well, I'm not really quite so sure who the Sony Michelle, James Cook, Kenny McIntosh-style running back for Georgia is. And that's not the same thing as saying they don't have it. I'm just saying we move into the start of the spring saying – 
that guy, you know, based on the skill sets of the guys who are in there, it hasn't obviously emerged yet. It, it could be that Kendall Milton is sort of the best position to be able to do that. Maybe we'll see. But when you think about the fact that archetype of running back, that kind of style of running back, the guy that also catches the ball really well, that being such a big part of these Georgia teams, you would assume that remains a big part of what Georgia needs to do in 2023 there as well, contributing on the ground the running game, but also the kind of running back that catches the football too. I love that phrase that Smart gave in one of his interviews last summer about, hey, we like to grow NFL running backs around here, and that means guys that can catch the ball coming out of the backfield. So the point is, is that maybe running game will matter more this year because it is new quarterback, it is new you know, offensive coordinator, a little bit of a transition period for the Georgia offense. But running backs aren't just asked to run the ball at a place like Georgia. They're going to be passing game targets too. Kenny McIntosh was what James Cook was before him and what Sonny Michelle was before him. The next version of that back this season, seeing that guy emerge, should be an interesting thing to watch. That is around the doghouse, and obviously Georgia fans loving the great success that UGA has had here over the course of the last couple of seasons, excitement about what could be to come there as well. But we want to celebrate here for a moment with our good friends at Jittery Joe's. I want to reach out and grab this. So this is that, you've heard me talk about this before, the commemorative 10, the limited edition uh, collector's item here, celebrating back-to-back national championships for Georgia with the, with the uh, back-to-back logo on the front, uh, some great you know information, you know the national championship UJ's won, all the uh, fun stuff there, the scores from all the games in the 2022 season. And of course, inside this great collector's tin, which has also got the Power G right there on the top, inside this collector's tin, also the delicious coffee from Jittery Joe's. Arabica beans coming from that great, part of the world you know Nicaragua and Guatemala all those places where like the great coffee is made this is where it comes from and this is what you enjoy in the mornings when you have your coffee Jittery Joe's of course famous for that dog fans love love Jittery Joe's they have partnered with UGA to celebrate these back-to-back national championships so do me a favor go online jitteryjoes.com jitteryjoes.com get yourself one of these commemorative national championship tins great jittery joe's coffee inside but the tin you can collect and keep forever so good stuff there jitteries joe's jitteryjoes.com for more on that all right we'll continue our look later on big questions facing each sec team we'll do some of that but for now more on quarterback and kind of what next for uga let's cover all that ground our buddy Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Let's talk to him right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Still to Mike Griffith. Happy to have him back for day two on what is vacation week for me, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And one of the things that we knew we wanted to do this week is take a little bit of a closer look at that Georgia quarterback competition. And what we have found out as we're kind of recording some of these shows is, hey, the quarterback competition now takes on a different feel because of the guy who's going to be one of the key decision makers in all of this, brand new offensive coordinator Mike Bobo, uh, back at Georgia now because Todd Munkin's moved on to the Baltimore Ravens. So, Mike, we're still a few weeks ahead of spring practice for Carson Beck, who's kind of in that number two spot, which would lead you to believe that he's maybe got the inside track right now. But obviously stiff competition with Brock Vandegrift and uh, Gunnar Stockton. How do you preview that quarterback competition right now? And what's on your mind here a few weeks ahead of these guys actually beginning what might be the fight of their lives coming up here in the month of March to see who can be the heir apparent to Stetson Bennett here at Georgia? Well, you know, just kind of reflecting on some things that Kenny McIntosh and Jake Fromm um, have said. Of course, I talked to Kenny at the Senior Bowl, and you, you have Jake Fromm on each week on Dog Nation Daily. And 
you know, Jake talks about knowing the offense and, and getting familiar with the verbiage, regardless of who's calling the offense, how important that is to get a jump on it. And, and Kenny talks about the consistency, you know, that Carson needs to show. Um, so to me, it's kind of like the, the leadership, right? Like now that, now that Munkin has moved on, the, the dynamics in the quarterback room change. There's a new leader, um, likely Mike Bobo. Um, obviously, he's the coordinator. I'm guessing he'll coach the quarterbacks as well. What are the dynamics going to be like with Mike Bobo? What are the players like as leaders? Um, you know, Brock Vandergriff, Carson Beck, Gunnar Stockton. How do the players respond? And then perhaps most importantly, is, as always is the, is the case with Kirby Smart, when I think about when Kirby used to talk about the, the Jake Fromm and Justin Fields competition, it was how, who moves the team the best. Not necessarily who's better, but who moves the team the best. Now, the 2021 JT Stetson thing came down to personnel. Georgia didn't have the receivers to go multi-receiver sets. They were going to be more run-heavy. And, and Stetson, as Kirby told ESPN, if it's you know going to run, you know Stetson, you want to throw, you go JT. That team ended up being more balanced. And Stetson was the better fit for the personnel that Georgia had in 2021, even after JT came back from the injuries. Well, I think we have to evaluate the personnel and see, you know, how effective these receivers can be. And and if you've got six or seven receivers, if Dominic Lovett earns a spot on the field with Rara Thomas and Lad McConkey, and those three receivers, that three receiver is your best bet versus two tight ends and two receivers, then you're going to go three receivers in one tight. And if that's the case, um, you know, does that give an advantage more to a guy like Beck, who I look at as more a prototypical NFL quarterback, as Jake told us uh, at Marlowe's one night? Um, or, you know, where, where are Vandergriff and Stockton on, on that spectrum? Because they bring more mobility, I think, in, in, in the sense of RPOs. And so it's just kind of a matter of mixing and matching the personnel and how does it all go together best? Because all those quarterbacks, um, bring different attributes to the table. Should be very interesting to see. I told you yesterday, Mike, and we're doing this this week with our Dog Nation guest, our, our typical you know, group of guys here, something I've never really done on a vacation show before, asking kind of a survey-type question, kind of a, a general poll-type question to each of uh, you. Yesterday we talked a little bit about some of those championship memories, and there are so many for Georgia over the last couple of years. Today's kind of survey-style question, I've also asked this to Connor and uh, to uh, Jeff here this week, is if you look at the all-time greats at Georgia, sometimes we kind of do this around the idea of Mount Rushmore of like, say, the four best players in program history. Um, and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot about this. So if it's not exactly four, that's okay. I'm just sort of curious to see where you take this. Mike, if I ask you for your Mount Rushmore of all-time Georgia players, and you can't have more than four. If you have less than four, that's fine. But you can't have more than four. Um, who's on your Mount Rushmore when it comes to Georgia players alone? That means no Kirby if you're counting him as a coach. No, 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 Vince Dooley. Let's keep this to guys who actually were on the field. Who's your Mount Rushmore of Georgia players? Wow. Well, that's that's tough. Um, you don't have to give me all four, but I'd like I'd like I'd like to know from you who is definitely in. That's what I'd like to know. Well, Herschel Walker. It sure. starts with Herschel Walker. He's the greatest, in my opinion. He's the greatest college football player of all time. Yep. You know, when ESPN did their you know one fifty or three fifty or whatever. Uh, I was kind of disappointed that, that Herschel wasn't one. I know they had Jim Brown number one, and, and Jim Brown was a fantastic NFL player, and, and maybe he would have done more had he not played lacrosse or been limited to Syracuse, whatever whatever the story was. 
but Herschel Walker was the one-man wrecking crew, um, the way he carried the Bulldogs as, as a freshman in the national title game against all odds. I mean, it, it would have been like if TCU had Herschel Walker and beat Georgia in the national title game. That That's just how monstrous his achievement was. If, if, Hers, if, if Imagine if TCU had a freshman running back and somehow beat Georgia this year, even though Georgia was better than TCU at every single position, basically. Um, that that's how incredible Herschel was, and so her, it starts with Herschel Walker for me. I, I think anything else is kind of ridiculous. You know, Frank Sinkwich is the other Heisman Trophy winner, and although I can't proclaim to have seen Frank Sinkwich play because um, he played from 1940 to 1942, the fact that he won a Heisman Trophy, um, you know, means a lot. There's only been two Heisman Trophy winners from Georgia. So, Mike, you didn't see Sinkwich. Who were you covering when Sinkwich was at Georgia? I'm a little surprised to hear that. You didn't see Sinkwich? Yeah, I'm trying to remember back where I was at (laughs) back then. I don't even think my parents were born yet. Um, But uh, so so I got to default to Sinkwich. Sure. You know, if I'm going to pick two players from the last two years, and this is, I know, this is uh, boo, whatever, but I'm going to go Jordan Davis and Brock Bowers. I, you know, Jordan Davis, to me, he, well, I know to everyone, he was the leader of the 2021. Now, don't no, don't get me wrong. Kobe Dean was the commander-in-chief and Lewis Seen in the secondary. And, you know, Stetson and JT, all they did in the quarterback room was great. And Pickens was fantastic. And, you know, Cook and Kenny and, and uh, you know, Zamir. And, we, you know, we can go on and on with great players and favorite players. But Jordan Davis made a difference. He was a difference maker in the locker room. He was a difference maker in the practices. He kept everybody going. Georgia had to get over the hump, and it took some really hard times and some really hard practices. And Jordan Davis, with his disposition and his sense of humor and the command and respect that he had of all the team, when you've got a guy with that sort of leadership and disposition, it makes a difference. I don't think any of this happens without Jordan Davis coming back for the 2020. In fact, I know it doesn't. If Jordan Davis doesn't come back for the 2021 season, the dogs do not win the championship. And so, hence, they probably don't repeat either because winning 2021 carried into 2022. So Jordan Davis is on the Mount Rushmore. He's an Outland Trophy winner. Um, He was also the Bednarik Award winner. He's one of only three players in history to win both the Outland and the Bednarik, which goes to the best defensive players. The other two were Aaron Donald and Indomitian Sue. That's the company that Jordan Davis is in. And so he's on my Mount Rushmore with Sinkwich and Herschel. And then Brock Bowers, you know, I say this only half kiddingly. I'm not convinced this guy wasn't built in a lab in California. Sure. I, 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 the Tesla engineers had some extra time on their hands and decided to, to build a fl- – I mean, this doesn't even – he doesn't even look real. He should not be running away from people, breaking tackles, Picking up the playbook in two days as a true freshman after missing his senior year. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. He's unbelievable. I almost put a word in the middle of that. I I mean, I I can't even explain how curious and unprecedented it is to have a freshman come in and run, not only catch the ball, have this 10-foot catch radius. It's like his arms extend. He doesn't drop anything. He's always where he's supposed to be. He runs the ball. He catches the ball. He blocks. He's not a distraction. He hardly ever talks. And when he does, it's exactly what Kirby would draw up out of the playbook. I don't think he even says a bad word. I mean, Brock Bowers, when, when we look at this team 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, 
Brock Bowers is going to be the first guy, I and mean, he's the first Bell Hall of Famer. He's two-time All-American, freshman of the year, Mackey Award. Like, he's transformed the position. And, and you know what? I was When I was watching the Super Bowl, doesn't he look a lot like Travis? Doesn't the Chiefs' offense look a lot like what Georgia did last? It sure does. I'm going to say Brock Bowers, Herschel Walker, um, Sinkwich, and Jordan Davis. So, I, obviously, what makes a debate like this fun is there's only four names you can put on there, so you're obviously leaving out some good players. But, like, the first thing that comes to yeah. mind for me is, you know, David Pollock doesn't come up on your list. Champ Bailey oh. doesn't come on your list. Because here's the, here's the thing, Mike. It's like you've got these distinct eras of Georgia football. You've got, like, the Herschel era, and then it's almost like you go way back in time to, like, the Wally Butts 1940s era where you have both Sinkwich and Charlie Trippy. And then you have this sort of, you know, like space and time before you now you get to the back to back era, which who knows how long this goes. But right now we'll call it the back to back era. But in between some of that, you do have big names that are worth considering and guys like Champ, certainly guys like David Pollock. I think they're supposed to be a part of that, you know, conversation. I would say A.J. Green's supposed to be a part of that conversation. You know, the other yeah. you know running backs are supposed to be a part of that conversation. So part of what makes this challenging is, is that if you can only have four then every time one of these Mount Rushmore conversations take place, a good player is certainly going to be left out. Oh, there's no doubt. And, you know, this reminds me, and obviously I've covered other programs, and, and um, you know, I'll give you an example. Like Sean Alexander, I thought was one of the – I think Sean Alexander is the greatest running back Alabama's ever had, ever in history. I think he's the best. But he didn't win national titles. And, and therefore, like, he's still not in the Hall of Fame. That's amazing to me that Sean Alexander is not in the College Football Hall of Fame. But he's not. And, you know, this guy was an NFL MVP. He's not in the Hall of Fame because he wasn't to championships. And in, in, in the 98 Vols, I covered that team. They talk more about the 98 Vols. I mean, Peyton Manning kind of gets kind of, well, you know, there's old Peyton, too. Well, Peyton didn't win the ring, but he gets kind of thrown in there. Okay, I get it. But outside of Peyton, all those other guys for Tennessee, as many great players as they had, the, the 98 Vols trumpet because that was their championship team. And I think the 2021 and 2022 Bulldogs, uh, as you brought up some great players with Champ and, and David Pollock, you know, certainly two of the most accomplished. Um, I think Champ was the only other Georgia player in the ESPN Top 50 and a few years ago when they did that. Um, you know, yeah, I, 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 I would I trump them with Jordan and Bowers because they were a part of championship teams. And that, that may not be – but, again, everybody's got their favorite, and like you said about the survey um, – you know, there's no wrong answers here, but if you can only do four, again, it, it to me it's you know Herschel and and whoever else, okay, you know, I just maybe just do a mountain of him, yeah, because that, that guy is is the one, and 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 I'll I'll use this opportunity to get on my soapbox, which sometimes you don't like, but if there's, I am still upset that there's nothing bigger and better to commemorate Herschel Walker. I would agree. On the when I go to when I go to LSU outside of Maravich Arena. There's a statue of Shaquille O'Neal. When I go to Michigan State, there's a statue of Magic Johnson. When I go to Florida, there's a statue of Steve Spurrier. When I go to Alabama, there's like statues of everybody. But I, why is there not a Herschel Walker? If you know, and there's a Vince Dooley statue, which I appreciate. It's the only outdoor statue on campus. But I think there should be something for Herschel. I agree. So I'm going to start there. I agree. I, I very much agree with that, Mike. Good stuff. Thanks for making some time for me on some uh, birth, uh, not birthday, uh, vacation type recordings. Although I guess it recently was my birthday too. So there you go on that. But either way, uh, thanks for it, Mike. Appreciate it. We'll look forward to talking to you when I'm back in town. All right. Thanks, PA. 
Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. How about two days worth of Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily? Almost more than anyone could have ever expected, uh, but Mike really delivered. So a good job by him there on that. Jeff Sintel tomorrow, normal for him. And then after that, my cruise vacation is over. And let me tell you something. It's always weird. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I told my wife this one time. She looked at me like I was completely crazy. Um, but so when we do the pre-recorded shows, you kind of run through the week. So like keep it what kind of up with what's kind of going on here um i am recording this like uh what is today is a wednesday i'm recording this wednesday yeah i'm recording this on a wednesday no today's tuesday today's tuesday I'm, yeah i'm recording this on a tuesday <laughs> after a while just sort of all runs together but in my mind it's also next thursday because that's the show that we're doing here right now which means my in my mind my cruise vacation is coming to an end so I have this sort of weird feeling I'm already said about the vacation coming to an end. It hasn't even started yet because in my mind, I'm kind of working my way through the week. And when you kind of do it that way, you sort of realize how fast it all kind of goes by. So I told my wife that last year and she looked at me like I was truly uh, uh, an unwell person. So probably I am. But nonetheless, uh, so as I talk to you here, that means we only got one more pre-recorded day to come. Then we're back to normal again on Monday. Of course, Jeff's until on tap tomorrow. That's really good. And by the way, speaking of royal caribbean cruise vacations you can find yourself one to look forward to and you can find yourself one to be sad when it's over when you talk to my good friend jessica slater here right now and she can walk you through the entire experience here i'm on board this week wonder of the seas that's a seven day cruise you're going to nass on the bahamas perfect day coco Cay. we're going to a private destination in, in haiti called labity a great port there in jamaica uh really kind of a fun kind of we're doing a little bit of a excursion going towards, like, say, Montego Bay and stuff like that. you got some amazing stuff. I mean, can you imagine how nice this is in the dead of winter when it has been kind of cold and rainy and kind of junky to just be in the Caribbean and enjoying all of that sunshine and all? I mean, I just I just love it. I'm so, so happy about uh, this experience. And not only am I happy for me, I want this for you. I really do. So I want you to go and uh, talk to Jessica. And there may be, the honest truth is, I really don't know where this stands right now. So I could be telling you something that's not true. But there could be a chance to get on board the Dog Nation cruise here coming at April 24th to the 28th. We're going to be going, obviously, on board Independence of the Seas, different cruise ship than the one I'm on here this week. But if you want more information on that, how about RoyalDogs.com? That is RoyalDogs.com. You can find out more about that. All right, so what you know is this week, we have been looking at a big question facing every SEC team. This is our way of kind of setting the stage for what next year this upcoming season is going to look like in the SEC. So here's my big question. The other for Alabama, this is going to do Alabama right now. The other day when ESPN kind of dropped some of its early playoff predictions, it was very interesting to see how many of their so-called experts, ESPN writers, had Alabama in the college football playoff. Now, many of them had both Alabama and Georgia. There was only one rider that didn't have Georgia in his playoff, and we're still not really quite so sure what he was thinking. But nonetheless, there was, you know, of the eight predictions, seven of them included Georgia, and many of those included both Georgia and Alabama making the playoff. The one guy, David Hale, that didn't have Georgia, he also had Alabama making his college football playoff. So very interesting to see the number of people who think that Alabama is going to shake off the two lost regular season a year ago and be like right back in the playoff conversation again here this year. And maybe that's the case. Alabama's obviously been playoff level good more often than not. But let's also keep this to just the boundary of the SEC here for a moment. Alabama in losing to LSU this past season 
did that look like a fluke to you? Did that look like one of those things of, ah, oh, LSU just caught him, uh, caught him on a bad day, just got lucky? No, the Alabama team we saw lose to LSU sort of felt a lot like the Alabama team we saw play, especially on the road, a lot this past season. So I find it to be very interesting that the national media types right now have this huge assumption that Alabama's a playoff team when I think here locally in the kind of the heart of SEC country, I think a lot of us are left to conclude or at least ask the question of, I'm not even sure they're supposed to be the SEC West favorite. Certainly seems like that uh, that LSU right now, on the basis of having won the division a year ago, no obvious reason to downgrade them, and there may not be an obvious reason to upgrade Alabama. Obviously, you lose Bry- uh, Bryce Young, you lose Will Anderson, guys like that. Those losses, those departures, very well documented. Change over with both coordinators. That might be a change for the better for some Alabama fans, but it's kind of uncertain what either Kevin Steele or Tommy Reese brings to the table there. But then beyond that, there's this. And this is something I was talking about a lot, even back during that era in which uh, you know Alabama was winning a lot of national championships. Alabama has a little bit of a nasty habit of not winning its division. For all the national championships they've won, the SEC West at times, it sort of seemed like it was as difficult a needle to thread to win the SEC West for Alabama as it was to win the national championship. Because let's go back in time here. Bama did not win the, the, the division in 2022. Did not win the division in 2019. Did not win the division in 2017. From that period of time, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, it's almost like they've won the division, uh, you know, about as often as they haven't. And for the team that's supposed to be the very best program in college football, their frequent inability to win the SEC West is something you ought to notice. So for everybody who thinks, ah, oh, Alabama may not have been in the playoff in 2022, but they're right back there in 2023, maybe they are. It's at least a possibility. Or maybe what we saw from Brian Kelly year one at LSU, maybe that really wasn't a fluke. Maybe an Alabama team that has had a handful of times recently when it has not made its way to Atlanta for the SEC championship in the final year of the SEC West. Maybe they don't do that again. Speaking of the Yellowhammer State here for a moment, the other side of that Iron Bowl rivalry, I find Auburn to be a pretty fascinating team here this year. And a coach that I think I'm probably a little bit more bullish on than some other people are is Hugh Freeze. Now, listen, Hugh Freeze has got whatever in his personal life. Not really for me to say. I don't even really know uh, necessarily what to say about that. Obviously, there's plenty of places you can go to see you know, full documentation of some of that kind of stuff. But keeping it within the boundaries of the field here for a moment, I think Hugh Freeze is a pretty good football coach. I do. And I think that Auburn is clearly in much better hands with him than it would have been uh, with Brian Harson his predecessor. And I think that Freeze made a couple of pretty good coordinator hires here. I think he's made a pretty big impact on signing day. I think that Hugh Freeze looks like an SEC coach at Auburn. That's something that has not been true at that program in the last couple of years. And I am led to believe there probably is a year one impact, because that's my big question for Auburn. Is there a year one impact coming from Brian Harson? I believe there probably is. But I believe long term, um, that's where things could get interesting for for for, for Hugh Freeze. Uh, that's where things could get interesting for Hugh Freeze there at Auburn. I believe that long term, there is definitely an opportunity for impact here. I could see Hugh Freeze, for instance, for all the attention that Josh Heupel is getting right now, I'm going to compare Auburn to Tennessee. I eventually could see Hugh Freeze winning more at Auburn than Heupel is going to win at Tennessee. You want to compare Billy Napier at Florida? We certainly talked about the need for Billy Napier to win games. Let's say he wins enough to sort of stay employed, remain on the job. Long term, I could see Hugh Freeze being a better coach at Auburn 
than uh, what Billy Napier is at Florida and some side-by-side comparisons for other guys in the SEC. Once again, that comparison might favor Hugh Freeze. I could I, I could see him building something that lasts uh, there potentially. I, 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 could, I could see that happening. And um, seeing how much of that happens in year one should also be pretty interesting to uh, see. This is not necessarily the coach that Auburn fans wanted. It seems like their attention was on other places. Yet ultimately, this might be the coach that Auburn fans find they they need. Uh, Clearly, they have to feel more like an SEC program after a couple of years in which they had a coach that was just below the level of what an SEC coach should be. And I believe that Hugh Freeze might turn out to be uh, that guy. We'll see you know, what he does. I mean, this is a guy, after all, that has beaten twice in his past uh, Nick Saban. And people say, was well, that the only reason why you want to hire a guy? You know, I, I don't certainly think that was the only reason uh, that Hugh Freeze was in consideration for this job. But for a guy who is in consideration to be hired, knowing he had that line on his resume, it's certainly not nothing. And I think the Freeze has a chance to be a little bit of an impact coach here at Auburn in a year one to answer my own question. We will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. So this is normally the portion of the show. We do our golden shoes. We give those out. The golden shoes is something we kind of concocted way back in 2020 when Marco Wilson through the shoe uh, against LSU, led to the LSU win, kind of the dismantling of the Florida season. Uh, we've kind of made fun of that since then. We love doing that. Uh, we get so many golden shoe submissions. With me being gone this week, a little bit hard to kind of do that right now. So we're not going to have those golden shoes here this week, but we'll look forward to getting back and have a great crop of those for you when we're back live again on Monday. One thing we will do, because we would never miss this, is take some time to make fun of those lousy stinking gators and remind you that 247 days from right now, and what might be among the final, if not the final cocktail party of all time, at least we have the suspicion that might be true. 247 days from right now, Georgia beats Florida again. We call that our Gator Hater Countdown. We appreciate you being a part of our program today. We'll see you back here for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp again tomorrow.